We're talking about the fundamentals, right. the basics of communication. What does it take? Mm -hmm. And let's not take it for granted right. because I got to tell you, here we are, two psychologists. We work on this all the time, yes, and it's still easy to stumble over these fundamental skills. We're just here for this brief period of time, and so shouldn't we invest our time here on Earth and even our marriages um, on things that will matter afterwards. Who put us here and designed us and designed marriage for His glory, for His purposes? It's not about us. Just me, or I just love the fact that they shot part of that in a, in a garage. I, you know, I, I told that to my wife. I said, isn't that awesome they shot that in a garage, that, that dirty garage? She goes, uh, that's a clean garage. Have you seen our garage? Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. Listen, if you haven't made plans to join us for this, please do. Bring your spouse, even if you're not married and you're interested in some conversation about marriage and what God expects of us as married couples, come to this, register for it. It's real easy to do on your card that you have. It's a QR code, you just gotta shoot it with your smartphone and it'll take you right to our uh, registration page for that event. So we hope that you'll join us in that. You doing okay this morning? So my name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here at South City and what a privilege it is uh, to be on this team uh, and to serve you as one of the pastors here. We are so privileged to do that. And, and we're in a marriage series, just as Elvis was talking about this morning, called I Do. It's kind of the, the idea is that we're focusing on our individual responsibility in marriage. Like, you know, when you get married, it's two people. And when you say I do, it's an individual responsibility. This is my responsibility. What, what, what is it that God is calling me to focus on? What is my role? What is it, it, what's important for me to know and important for me to live out and me to walk out? I don't know about you, but... Um, pretty much everything I learned growing up about marriage, uh, I mean, was from my parents. I, I grew up, you know, my parents were married, and that was great. Uh, my grandparents were all married. That was great, you know. Um, I'm the youngest of four, and so my, my uh, sister got married. In fact, she got married here, and I was just a little guy, like a ring bearer or something. And I, we have a picture of me hiding around the corner over there by those air conditioning units or something, and uh, because I was so sad, my sister was married, getting married, you know. Um, but I saw her get married. I saw my older brothers get married. And so when I fell in love with the most wonderful and most beautiful woman on the planet, right? And I did. Um, it just seemed natural to do what I knew to do, which is to get married. Marriage was a part of kind of my social construct. It was what we do in my family. And it's also part of my faith tradition. It's what you do when you fall in love. You get married. I don't know about you. Maybe you did the same thing. Or maybe you don't have that same uh, faith background. And maybe when you come together with somebody, it's not that big of a deal to get married. Maybe you just don't worry about it. You just kind of come together. But the reality is, is we are all affected by what our experience of marriage or relationship is. And we usually grow from that experience into what our experience will become. So that's, that's kind of a little bit about what we're talking about this morning. Uh, but the thing I really want us to see, the thing I want us to focus on today especially, is that marriage is so much bigger. It's so much bigger than just the next step 
in falling in love. It's so much bigger than family experience, what my family did or your family did. It's so much bigger even than a religious tradition. I want us to see, and on the back of your card this morning, I've given you four statements about marriage. And you can fill those in, and I'll give them to you real quick, and you can be done. How about that? So four statements, and the first one is this, the sanctity of marriage. Marriage is not just a good idea. It's not just a contractual uh, agreement. Marriage, my friends, is holy. The word, uh, that word, the sanctity, it just means being holy or being sacred, right? And then a little bit we're going to talk about the fact that uh, there is a secret to marriage, Okay, And then the third one is the sanctification of marriage. And then we're going to finish up in just a minute uh, talking about the spirit of marriage. So there, we've all cheated now. We've got all the, the notes right on the front end. Now let's see if we can make sense of them, can we? So go with me just for a minute, if you would, to the beginning of creation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existing together in relationship, in community, I don't, know, I don't know what that looked like, but there was nothing else, nothingness. The Bible says they, they begin to create out of this community, out of this relationship. They create the light, right, for day and night. They create the land. They create the sea. They create the sky. Then they begin to create animals. They create animals for the sea, and they create animals for the land. They create animals for the sky, and each time they create something, they say, that's good, right? Guys, you ever done that? You built something? Pretty much everything I build. I mean, I can, I can mow the yard full of weeds and go, come on now, that looks pretty good. Yeah. It's just what we do, guys. And maybe that's part of our uh, image, our Mago day. I don't know. But they looked at their work and they said, this is good. Then they decided, hey, let's create man in our image. And so they create Adam out of the dust, Right? But what happens is they realize that Adam doesn't have something the other created animals, the beings they, they, they had, but Adam didn't. They had a partner. They had a friend. They had somebody to do life with. They had some connection with another, another creation, but Adam didn't. And so they chose to make that right. Look with me here in Genesis 2.18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, there's two things I want you to see in this. There's two main points in this one little text. God's saying, number one, it's not, it's not good for him to be alone. And number two, he needs help. And a lot of times preachers and speakers, we can kind of use this verse as context to even just talk about all kinds of relationships. And I think you can. Every one of us needs community. We need relationships, right? We also need help. We can't do things alone. We need help from each other. So I think it's appropriate that we look at this text and go, yeah, we need each other to not be alone and we need help. But there's something unique about this verse. There's something unique about this text in that it's not just connected to every relationship. It gets real specific. It gets real specific and God wants to show us something that is absolutely phenomenal. There's a relationship that supersedes all other relationships on earth. It's big. It's huge. In fact, it's a gift of God. In the text, it talks about the fact that, that Adam was created. And then after Adam, at some point, they choose to create Eve. So they, he, he puts to sleep Adam. 
takes a rib, right? Creates woman from this rib. But I, I don't, have you ever seen this part of this text where it says, then God brought the woman to the man? I don't know if I've ever noticed that. And it's beautiful because what I see is it's kind of like a wedding ceremony where the father, which I'm not going to cry, but I, I might. Uh, it's where the, I have two little girls, if that gives you any context. But it's where the father walks his daughter down the aisle and, and gives his daughter as a gift to the groom. It's the exact same image, except this is God, Father, Creator, walking the woman to the man. And it says he presents her. He brings her to the man. The point is this. God is giving a gift to Adam. And his gift is Eve. Isn't that beautiful? This is a gift of God. And when Adam sees this beautiful creature, and by the way, he's seen a lot of creatures, right? He's named a bunch of them. Uh, this one's different, <clears throat> right? Adam sees this creature and he goes, whoa, basically. That's, that's from the Hebrew. Um, <laughs> and then he waxes poetic, basically. Look at Genesis 2.23 where he says, then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, I want you to notice the first little thing he says, at last. Now, we don't know, we don't have any kind of time scale in Scripture of how long was it between, you know, you creating the sky to the land or this to that or, or even man to woman. In my mind, I've always seen creation and thought about it like, well, God created man and then a few minutes later, an hour later, whatever, you know, he creates woman. But I don't think so. I think there's a sense here of longing. There's a sense here of, uh, of excitement that hasn't existed before. In fact, there has to be some amount of time because God noticed that Adam didn't have a helper, right? There had to be some amount of time that has passed. Was it a month? A week? Was it a year? Was it a hundred years? I don't know, but it's interesting to think that at some point, God gives this gift of woman to, to Adam. And Adam says this, this phrase, at last, at last. Who knows how long he had to live without her, but he's excited to see her. See, man and women, man and woman were created as a gift from God to each other. If you're married today, your spouse is a gift. I got one amen. <clears throat> Friends, it's true. Your spouse is God's gift to you. But I want you to know something. The story doesn't stop with the creation of Eve. God created something else that day. And it's so important for us to see it and understand it. He created marriage. God created marriage. Man didn't come up with this union. God created marriage. And we see the first wedding in Genesis 2.24. says, therefore... A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is such a profound and beautiful two verses of Scripture. First thing I want you to see is at the beginning it says, therefore, right? Uh, we have that little statement in, in studying Scripture where it says, if you see a therefore, what's it there for, right? And we ask that whole thing. What's it there for? The NIV says, for, it's for a reason. 
In other words, God has got a plan here to bring man and woman together. There is a, there is a plan. Therefore, what does it mean? And I'll tell you what it means. It means that God has an intent that we should respond to this gift of man or woman with commitment. That's what, that's what our response should rightfully be. We should commit this God-given gift, our response to him and to each other should be commitment. I want to look at the three main aspects of this couple of verses, can we? First is this, the man shall leave his father and mother. The man shall leave his father and mother. Now, isn't this interesting? It doesn't say the man and the woman, they should leave their fathers and mothers. It says the man should leave his father and mother. I think that's interesting. Why, why wouldn't God include the woman in this? I think the reason is what we see later on even in Scripture about the intended purpose for leadership in the home. God is calling men to step up and lead. And in this moment at creation, he's saying, man, you leave your home you grew up in and create a new home. You be the leader of your home. You're responsible for your home. This is on you. This isn't on both of you. Man, this is on you. Leave your father and mother and go create a home. Make a new home. This is my plan. But how many, I bet every one of us in here knows some 29, 31-year-old guy still living with his parents playing video games all day long. By the way, that's not a good look. That's not attractive for a possible marriage relationship. Men, be men. Grow up. Step out. Create a home. Make yourself marryable if that's what God is calling you to do. Either way, he wants you to be a man. He wants you to live in such a way that you don't only leave literally your parents' home, you leave figuratively as well. This is what I mean. I, I'm counseling a couple of couples for marriage coming up this summer. And if I could just give one little piece of marital advice, um, don't compare your wife's cooking to your mom's cooking. That's a bad idea. I'll never forget early on in our marriage, it went something like this. These green beans don't taste like my mom's green beans. I remember waking up later, no, I, uh, yeah, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It wasn't a good move is what I'm saying, right? I, my, 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 my mom didn't iron my shirts this way, honey. What's the deal with it? No, not a good idea. Leave your parents home and create your own home. Create a new experience. That's God's uh, command. That's God's uh, intent for us. Hold fast to his wife. I love that phrase. Hold fast to his wife. That even in creation, God is saying, be committed, be faithful, be monogamous. This is the woman I've given you. Be faithful. And this, too, is not just meant literally, but it's also meant figuratively. So this is for man and woman. Don't just leave your parents home, but be faithful in your heart and in your mind. Be faithful. Hold fast to your spouse. This is who God has given you as a gift. It's intended that you're together forever. That's God's intent here, that you will be enough. Then there's this phrase, they shall become one flesh. They were naked and not ashamed. Now, obviously, this is talking about sex. And even as I say that phrase... And I say that word in the room, you can feel a little bit of a, oh gosh, right? 
Do you feel that in your own heart? It's because the enemy has hijacked one of the most beautiful things God ever created. And in our culture, sex has become a dirty word, something we're not supposed to talk about or experience or enjoy. But friends, I want you to know sex is something God created. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. And it is meant to be enjoyed in the way he intended it to be enjoyed. It's, it's something that should be known in marriage. It's something that should be experienced only in marriage. But the problem is we don't follow God's instruction. We follow our own way. We do what we want to do. And what happens is not only are we sinning against God, but I want you to know we're causing soul ties, soul connections, and we will pay a price. A friend told me this one time. He said, if you've ever worked with woodworking and you put wood glue on two pieces of wood, men, if you've ever done this, you know that that glue works pretty good, right? That makes a pretty good bond. And it's the kind of thing where if you ever try to get those two pieces of wood apart, it's almost impossible. But if you succeed in pulling these two pieces of wood apart, you're going to bring a piece of this board off and you're going to bring chunks of this board off and both pieces will never be the same again. It's the same thing with your soul. When you give your soul and you become one with someone, whether in marriage or not, you become one with someone, you give a piece of your soul. And if that's ever pulled apart, then a piece of your soul pays the price. And so every time it's pulled apart, you look a little different than the original design God had in mind for your life. And then you wonder, why have I never feel like I've experienced love? Why don't I understand commitment? Why is sex so complicated in my life? God's original design was oneness. His original design was pleasure, unbelievable joy. That's his original design. He created man and woman equally in his image, and he told them to be fruitful and to multiply. But what's interesting is he changes his response after he creates man and woman. See, he created land, and think about how big these, these creations are. Land and sea and, and sky and stars, those were all good. But then he creates man and woman. He says, this is very good. That's what Scripture says. Do you see that value? Do you see that worth? He cares more about you than he does the creation of the world. You are very good. The creation of man and woman together is very, very good. Marriage was God's idea. And it was his expectation for us. Guess what? It's still his expectation of us. Why? Because it's how it works best. This is how it works best. If you want, it to, if you want the relationship to work, then this is what we do. We follow. We obey God. Last week we talked about the reality is often we're just selfish and disobedient. But to follow Christ and to have the best relationship in our marriages, we need to be obedient to his word. You see... Um, I think about when Adam and Eve sinned. I mean, in the garden early on. They sinned. They believed a lie. They were deceived into believing something that wasn't true. And we buy into lies all the time, don't we? We think, well, this will be okay. Well, this is my way or this is your way. And we believe we're deceived into believing lies all the time. I want you to see that in the fall of man, listen. The very first casualty in the fall of man, you know what it was? It was marriage. 
Think about the seriousness of this. It's, it's part of creation. Just as he created the world, God creates marriage. And then when the fall of man happens, the first casualty is marriage. This is what I mean. Of course, they sinned. They're filled with shame. They, they don't want to be naked and unashamed anymore. Instead, they want to be covered. And, they, and they, they're full of shame. That's what causes you to hide is shame. Right? And so they go and hide. And then they, it says that they hear God walking in the, in the garden. He calls out. But who does he call out to? Does he call out to Eve who made the first decision to eat the fruit? No. He calls out to Adam. Why? Because Adam is responsible for his home. He calls to Adam. Adam says, we're hiding. We've covered ourselves. And God says, wait, wait, wait. Did you, who told you you're naked? Listen, before the fall, we have, we have this beautiful couple who's united in all things. They're naked and unashamed. And then after the fall, we have this couple that is divided and they want to be covered and they're full of shame. Do you see that? He asks Adam what happens and, and Adam, Adam says, well, it was the woman. She made this choice. Well, in fact, it was the woman you gave me. So he blames the woman, then he blames God. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You blame your spouse, and then God, how could you ever set me up with this person, right? You see the, you see the repeat of this action? We do this all the time, and the first casualty of the fall, sadly, is the brokenness in marriage. But in God's great love and mercy, in his great love and mercy, even as he knows what's already happened, and he's walking into the scene in the garden. And he sees that everything's going to change. In his great love and mercy, he causes the first death to happen. There'd never been death in the garden. No death. And because of sin, now there's going to be death. And God kills the first animal and gives skin of that animal to cover the nakedness, to cover the brokenness, to cover the shame of this couple who's been deceived. And that's going to be a prophetic moment because a little bit later he's going to give his son, his only son, to die on a cross and to shed his blood to cover our nakedness, to cover our sin, and to cover our shame. God loves us. He loves us. I want you to see that marriage is not only holy and it's not only mentioned in the beginning of time, it's mentioned at the end of time. And it's not only just mentioned in relation to uh, romantic man and woman love. This is, there's something much bigger that we don't really understand. We don't get completely. Marriage is bigger than just man and woman. In fact, it says in Isaiah 62, 5, it says, As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Now God is using this terminology of him and his bride. Right? Jesus refers to himself in, in Matthew 9 as the bridegroom. A little bit later in Matthew 22, he refers to a wedding banquet. He's helping us understand marriage is bigger than just man and woman. And then John writes in Revelation 19 about this wedding of the Lamb. I want to look at it. Remember, this is a, uh, a moment where God is showing John what's going to happen in heaven in the future. And he's seeing these things. He's writing them down. He writes this in Revelation 19, 6. It says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, 
For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult. Let us give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. See, God's showing John that marriage is, is not just an idea for romantic love or, or a couple. That God's trying to show us marriage has a deeper, more profound understanding. It's more. It's, it's something otherworldly, which is, in fact, the definition of holy. It's something that's beyond us. It's bigger than us. In fact, the ultimate marriage will be those who know Jesus as their Savior who've been cleansed by his blood and washed, made ready, we will be his bride and he will be our bridegroom, the Bible says. So we get this concept of marriage that it's holy from creation and to completion. That's what this is. I know when Lori and I, before we got married, we got engaged and we had a, a little over a year-long engagement, which I don't suggest. Um, but I went and got a, uh, a poster board. And I put it on the back of my office door. I was working at a church in Fayetteville. And I, I literally made a poster for 12 months, every single day, 365 days. And every day I marked off a day. You know why? Because I could not wait to be with the most wonderful woman I'd ever seen. I couldn't wait to spend time with her. I couldn't wait to, to have our relationship complete. And I counted down the days. I literally did. Every single one. Church is not unlike what we do as believers in Jesus. Our relationship to him is not complete. We're not with him yet. He lives in us, but we have not seen him face to face. We have not experienced that with him. This, there's going to come a day where we get to experience Jesus, the lover of our souls. And we get to be connected to him in a relationship like we've never known. And so we wait. We wait. And one day, like Adam, we'll say, at last. At last, we get to be with the lover of our souls. Friends, marriage is bigger than us. It's holy. Here's the second thing. There's a secret of marriage. Do you know that? There's a secret of marriage. It says that in the Bible. Let's look at it. Ephesians 5.31. Paul says this. It says, therefore a man, he's, he's quoting Genesis here. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We read that already. And then Paul adds this in verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church. Now, the Greek word here for mystery is mysterion, and the definition of mysterion, one of the definitions is that it's a type of secret. Isn't that interesting? There's a type of secret in this. Paul's saying if you can get this, you can understand what marriage is about. He says that this secret or this mystery is profound. I looked up that word profound before I walked in here just a little bit ago. It talked about the depths of the sea, the depths of the mind, the, depth, the, the ultimate hyperbolic, as far as you can go, the depths of understanding. Paul's saying the depths of the secret of the mystery of a marriage between a man and a woman. It's profound. And it has to do with Christ and his church. This is what he's saying, friends. He's referring to the two becoming one flesh. He's saying it's not just about two people coming together. 
that there's a deeper, more profound meaning. It's the example of how Christ loves his church. Every marriage should show the world that God is a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of unfailing love and sacrifice. That's the secret of marriage. It's to understand that marriage actually is not about you. Marriage is not about you. It's that your marriage is to bring glory to God. Your union, your relationship is to show how good God is, how loving he is, how forgiving he is, how never leaving he is, how faithful our God is. Does your marriage do that? Does your marriage scream to the world, this is my God? He's faithful, he's kind, he's forgiving, he's loving, he's staying, I can trust him. He sticks closer than a brother. Does your marriage say that to the world? Because if it does, you've understood the secret of marriage. But some of you are saying, no, I'm miserable in my marriage. I'm struggling in my marriage, and I think it's because you haven't learned the secret. Marriage is not about you. It's about our dependence upon him and the work he wants to do in you through marriage. Here's the third phrase today. The sanctification of marriage. Sanctification is a $2 word from seminary. It just means process, right? It means there's a process. It means that marriage is, is a journey, not a destination. It means that God wants to use different things in our lives to make us like Christ. And friends, I don't know of another one that's, that's this significant as marriage. God has shaped my life to look more like Jesus, and I got a long way to go. But he shaped my life to look more like Christ through my marriage than maybe anything else in my life. He is using your marriage in this way as a process. One of my favorite writers is Tim Keller. He's got a book out he wrote with his wife called The Meaning of Marriage. He says this in that book. He says, what then is marriage for? It is for helping each other to become our future glory selves, the new creations that God will eventually make us. It is to look at one another at another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you're taking to his throne. I see all your flaws, your imperfections, weaknesses, dependencies, but underneath them all, I see growing the person God wants you to be. See, if we understand the secret of marriage, we understand that it's a process that marriage isn't what makes us happy. I, I was confused about that, by the way. <laughs> when I got married, I was young, 21, and I thought, oh, you know, this is the end-all, be-all of all life. And she's going to take care of everything, and, and my world's going to be wonderful. Listen, she is not God. She is my wife, and I adore her, and she's maybe one of the most wonderful people on the planet. I agree. <laughs> but she doesn't meet my needs. She doesn't satisfy all my needs. Only God can do that. And we can't place an expectation on our spouse to think that they can. And sometimes we do. Marriage is a journey. I heard somebody say that marriage is the sandpaper of sanctification. You ever done any woodwork? Maybe with a chainsaw or a saw in the wood, it's, it's rough. You get splinters. And so you come back with some sandpaper. And you work that piece of wood until it's soft. And it, and it won't hurt you, right? That's what marriage does. In our relationship with Jesus, it helps rub off all the rough spots. It takes us closer to what we're supposed to look like. That's what marriage 
does. Friends, listen to this. God is more concerned about your holiness than your happiness in marriage. He's much more concerned about your holiness than your happiness in marriage. Keller says this in his book. He says, romance, sex, laughter, and plain fun are byproducts of this process of sanctification, refinement, and glorification. Those things are important, but they can't keep the marriage going through the years and years of ordinary life. What keeps the marriage going is your commitment to your spouse's holiness, your commitment to his or her beauty. You committed to uh, his greatness and perfection. You committed to her honesty and passion for the things of God. That's your job as a spouse. Any lesser goal than that, any smaller purpose, you're just playing at being married. Friends, when's the last time you took your eyes, your gaze, your expectations off of your spouse? Off of your happiness? off of your satisfaction and considered that God has given you this man or woman as your spouse to make you more like Jesus. The one you have. You're like, my spouse? Yes, that one. God has given you your husband as a gift. Your wife, he's presented to you as a gift to make you more like Jesus. That's it. That each frustration... And each difficulty is an opportunity to show grace, to learn patience, to offer forgiveness. And the more we do it, the more we look like Jesus. Some of you say, but man, you don't know my marriage. My marriage is really jacked up. My marriage, we've made a lot of mistakes. I don't know, it, it feels like we can't repair it, right? And I, you'd be right, I don't know your marriage. But I do know the Savior. I do know the King the one and only king. And I know that when you take your eyes off of them and what you expect from them and you place your gaze on Jesus from where your help comes from, I know that he can change your heart. And if he changes your heart, he can change your marriage. If he'll change your heart, he can change your marriage. Last week we talked about what it takes to have a Christ-centered marriage Seemed elementary, right? To have a Christ-centered marriage, you have to be a Christian. To have a Christ-centered marriage, you have to serve the other person as a believer. You have to love them and care for them. You have to not be selfish, but selfless. You have to honor God with your life. You have to obey him in his word about what he says about marriage. And of course, we see Paul give some really specific responsibilities in marriage. Let's look at them quickly here. In the spirit of marriage, Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. 
Have we heard that before? Yeah, we've talked about it before. If you've been in our First Principles uh, Discipleship Series, we've talked about the roles of husband and wife. We've, we've discussed this exact passage. But one of the things that I think is so interesting that I studied this week is that sometimes we just let the headings in our Bible kind of cause our gaze to go to one section. And we just camp out right there. But you can't do that. We've got to read Scripture in context the way that it was meant to be read. And if you go north just a little bit in your, in your Scripture, in Ephesians 5, you'll see that Paul is talking to the church. Especially in verse 16, he's speaking to the church. And in the church, he's saying, hey, listen, don't be drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the what? The Spirit. He's saying, church, be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to honor God with your life. You're going to help other people. In fact, verse 21 says, submit one to another as the church. And in doing so, give reverence to Christ. So I want you to see this next section, starting in verse 22, in context of being filled with the Spirit. This is what I'm saying. Sometimes we've read this household passage, we call it. Verse 22 through 33, and we go, well, how am I supposed to submit to my husband? That seems impossible. Or men, how am I supposed to lay down my life as Christ laid down his life for the church and gave himself? It seems impossible. Listen, Paul is saying his expectation of you being able to do that is spirit-filled, God-honoring, submissive, supportive believers in Jesus. That you can't submit to your husband unless you're filled with the Spirit. You can't lay your life down for your wife unless you're filled with the Spirit. It's the right spirit of marriage. I want to close this morning. When I do, I just want to ask you a few questions here. Consider. So in, in your relationship, have you honored God? In the relationship you're in right now, is it a God-honoring relationship? Is it something where you said, yeah, I see what God has created to be holy, and I'm being selfless and obedient to honor God? Friends, I mentioned this last week, I think. Marriage went down 30, over 30% in 17 years. In 2000, 15,000 marriages in Arkansas. In 2017, 9,500. Why is marriage going down in such a drama dramatic, drastic, alarming rate? Unless it's that we don't value marriage and that we don't see it as holy, that God created it. And that there's something bigger even than just man and woman coming together. This is to express who Jesus is to the world. But we don't care, do we? We're going to do our own thing. I'm going to live with the person I want to live with. I'm going to have sex with who I want to have sex with. No. Friends, we need to repent. And listen, don't hear this message in a spirit of judgment. That is not my heart. It's not the heart of the Bible. This message is to be given to you in a heart of love because I know what God's expectation of marriage is. I know that God wants to bless you. He wants you to experience marriage with such joy, such pleasure that you've never imagined, such contentment. But when we go outside of his design, we fall in deception just like Adam and Eve, and things get confusing 
and our souls get torn and lives get ruined when we place our satisfaction in another human being that could never meet our needs. Only God can meet our needs. Well, what am I supposed to do right now? Honor God. If you call yourself a Christ follower, if that's what your heart is, honor God. What does that mean? I'd love to help you figure that out. Not in a judgmental way, but in a loving way to help you honor God. It means that you might need to get married. You might need to change some situations in your home. You might need to get some priorities straight. But God will be honored when we stop living for ourselves and out of our own pleasure. And we say, God, what's your pleasure? What's your desire for my life? Not what I want. Not what my family experience has been. God, what would you have me do to honor you? With all of myself. I'm tired of life being broken and my soul being bruised and torn apart. I want it your way. Have you come to that place in your marriage? God, marriage is holy and I want to live it that way. Have you learned the secret that it's about Jesus and his love for the church and that our marriages are to be a model of that love? Just as our bodies, just as our lives, our existence are created in his image, marriage is created in the image of God's relationship for us. He loves us and our marriages are to be a model of that love for us. And then in the process, God is making us like him, and it's not easy. Friends, it's not easy. Did you know, and I know you do if you're married, <laughs> the people you love the most have the greatest power to hurt you the, the deepest. They do, and they do. People who you love the most have the, the, the ability to wound you the greatest, and we do, because we know where to get them. Don't we? We get in that fight, oh, I know the thing to say. Ugh. It's true. And it's sinful. And we need to repent. Because our marriages need to scream of Christ's faith. Not the fact that we win or that we're right, but that we lay down our lives. That God would receive glory through our marriage. And then lastly, I just ask you this what's the spirit of your relationship? What's the spirit of your marriage? Is it God's spirit? Are you being continually filled with his spirit? As a follower of Christ, treating your spouse the way Christ followers should treat everybody, but especially your spouse? Are you filled with the spirit in such a way that, that you, you're submissive and loving and kind? And you can actually live out these roles Paul talks about and Peter talks about. What's the spirit of your marriage or your relationship? Are you walking in selfishness or disobedience? Or have you said, this is not about me. I want to be selfless. I want to honor Christ. And I want to obey his direction for my life. We're going to close. Again, I hope that you understand. And I've struggled with this. Because the last thing I would ever want to be received as is somebody who's just going to point fingers. Because listen... To point at you just means there's four pointing back at me. I am a sinner. I have made many great sins in this area. And God has forgiven me. 
And God is changing me. And God is using my marriage to make me more like Jesus. My heart, the heart of our elders is that the marriages at South City Church be strong. Not because you're really in love. No. Not because you go on date nights, right? No. No. Because you're following Christ. He created marriage. It's holy. He knows how life works best. Are we following him in it? Are we being obedient to him in it? Are we serving each other in the design that he's given us? Listen, if you are, the whole world will be able to step back and go, there's something special about that couple, right? There's something special about that couple. Yeah, they're following Jesus. And they understand the secret of marriage and that God is sanctifying them in the process. This morning, I'm going to be up here. Brother Jerry will be up here. Um, if you want to come and pray if, as a couple, if you want to speak with us, you want to ask questions, you want to pray right where you are, whatever, however God leads you to, to respond in worship. See, worship's not just singing. Worship is a response to his word. And as we've shared his word this morning, would you respond to it? God, what, what is your heart for me in my marriage? Help me to change. Help me to focus on me. I do. Change my heart so you can change my marriage. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you love us the way you do. Thank you that you're helping us understand marriage is not just about people who love each other and a commitment or even a contract or, or even a family experience or a faith experience. God, marriage is a creation, a holy moment that's meant to teach the world something about the greatest thing there is, which is Christ's love for the world, for his church. And yet we've somehow made marriage about convenience. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, God. Help us to place the, the, the marriage, the relationship that you've given us at a place where we honor it and we honor you. And we obey you in selfless obedience, trusting you, God. God, would you help us to see our, our spouse as the person you've given to us as a gift so that you can shape us into the image of Jesus through that relationship to know you more, to represent you more, to love you more, to be a witness to the world of how great your love is for us. Oh God, fill us with your spirit even now so that we would be obedient to you. We would serve you. We would lay down our lives, God, and say, Jesus, you are more important than my happiness. You are more important than, than my wants. I surrender. I give up these things in my life that dishonor you to walk in your way and trust you. God, would you give us courage to be reminded you know what's best to follow your direction in our lives. Bless us now, Lord, as we respond to your word, as we respond to this loving, loving story of Jesus on the cross who gave everything for us that we would just lay down our lives for you, Lord. Would you help us now as we surrender to you in Jesus' precious name?